sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. So, we know that the big conflict these days is between religious freedom and gay rights. But there's a unique aspect to this that affects those of us who are lawyers like myself. Well, maybe not me yet, but if the American Bar Association has its way with various states, uh, it's going to be interesting. Here to talk about it is Kim Colby, an attorney director of the Center for Law and Religious Freedom Christian Legal Society and a frequent guest of mine. Kim, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. So what about this uh, model rule, so to speak, of the American Bar Association? Right. So three years ago, the American Bar Association adopted a model rule that is very broad. It prohibits uh, harassment and discrimination in conduct related to the practice of law in 11 different categories of protected uh, persons. And it includes uh, conduct that is when lawyers engage in social activities. It includes anything they're doing related to the practice of law. And um, the uh, terms harassment and discrimination uh, explicitly include verbal conduct, which is what you and I know to be speech. So it regulates attorneys' speech in just about every sphere of their activity. So it's a very broad rule. The good news is that it doesn't apply to uh, anyone, as long as it's just the ABA model rule, uh, the Supreme Court in each state has to adopt that rule as a rule for that particular state. And so far, in three years, only one state has done that. Which is? Uh, Vermont. Vermont adopted the rule, I think it was two years ago now. Um, and at least 11 other states have considered the rule, held public comment periods, and have either rejected the rule outright or have abandoned efforts to impose the rule on lawyers in their states. And it's probably also been discussed behind closed doors and not gone any further in several other states that we just don't know about. Because once uh, lawyers start looking at this rule and thinking about it, it has good intentions. You know, getting rid of discrimination and harassment is a good thing. But it's such a broad rule, it's so poorly defined, that it really will be a sort of <laughs> Damocles hanging over the heads of lawyers, um, threatening them with loss of license. If they do something or say something that someone else thinks is discriminatory or harassing, even if the lawyer had no intention of it in that way. So, you know, just so we understand how this works, you know, I do employment law focused on religious discrimination. So if someone comes to me and they have, let's say it's a race discrimination case, 
and I say, well, I'm sorry, I can refer you, but our office doesn't do race discrimination cases. And they file a complaint and say, well, you know, maybe they're honest about what I said, or maybe they are dishonest and they accuse me of having made racial slurs and, uh, you know, using the N-word, for example. And um, I could lose my license if someone accuses me of, of not taking a case because it was a race case and I was discriminatory. And, you know, uh, even if, let's say, the state bar would believe their story. So that's what right. you're saying. Is- right. And the state bar is actually the tribunal now, which uh, the state bar's disciplinary offices are usually not set up to be handling employment discrimination cases or other kinds of discrimination cases. Um, and this would greatly increase the workload of disciplinary counsel in the state such that uh, some of the disciplinary counsel in some of the states have actually said, we don't want this because uh, trying fairly uh, employment discrimination cases, for example, is very complex and we just aren't equipped to do what is normally done in courts. And of course, uh, lawyers' rights and disciplinary counsel proceedings often are not as extensive as they would be in a court setting. Um, the rules of evidence are different. The presumptions are different. And so um, that's one of the many reasons, besides the fact that it infringes on First Amendment rights, that people are really, when they take a second look at this, they think this is not something we uh, want to do to impose on lawyers. Now, just, you know, pick up on another aspect of this. You said that it's not just about what a lawyer like myself does in the course of my practice of law, but also my conduct outside of the office. So, um, you know, if I were, let's say I was uh, part of an organization that was advocating very strict immigration policies, and that organization was somehow branded as a kind of a white supremacist organization. Um, I could be challenged. My, my bar license could be challenged for that. Right. And it only takes like one observer uh, who has no connection to you whatsoever to decide that you're on the wrong side of an issue. And they can bring a complaint to the bar council, which the bar council has to has a duty to investigate, even if they decide not to bring charges at the end of the day. And of course, you and I know, because we tend to practice in different states, different times, depending on the cases we're working on, when you um, want to be admitted to a particular state's courts for the purpose of working on one case in that state, um, you have to do the paperwork. And there's always the question of, do you have any complaints against you? In any jurisdiction, when you have to check that box, well, yes, um, that's that's something no lawyer wants to do. And that illustrates just what a chilling effect this rule will have on lawyers because they will more and more look at anything they do as, does this increase my risk of having some sort of complaint, whether it's well-founded or ill-founded, uh, brought against me? And then they just will back off. And I think the place where uh, those of us in the religious community are uh, particularly concerned is that lawyers, of course, sit 
on many boards for religious nonprofits, for their alma mater colleges, uh, for the K through 12 school that they're a religious school that their child attends uh, for their churches or other places of worship. And lawyers actually, when you read this rule, you may be um, on the hook uh, risking your license depending on what types of policies or advice you give as a board member of different religious nonprofits so that I think we are in danger of seeing Lawyers say it's just not worth the risk. I won't serve on these boards. Well, and I think, you know, the elephant in the room, of course, is the conflict between gay rights and religious freedom. And so what if sitting on a board of your kid's church school, you know, it's a conservative or, you know, uh, religious group that has traditional values as far as marriage and sexuality, um, Maybe the pastor associated with that school has been very outspoken on issues of homosexuality, and then your association with that school and that pastor become the means of attacking you. That, uh, I think that's very possible. Uh, we know that religious colleges have had problems in the last few years, when particularly involving their housing policies. Uh, for students who um, no longer think that they are male or female, whatever sex they belong to when they were admitted, and now want to be accommodated in the housing of the opposite sex or um, same-sex uh, couples who are students want to be accommodated in the married housing of the religious organization. Um, those are policies that lawyers on the boards often uh, either help draft or advise on or just vote on. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, church policies as to, you know, what will the policy of the church be as to uh, marriages that its clergy perform or as to how its facilities will be used for, you know, receptions and, and other celebrations. It could have a significant impact on the ability of religious organizations to continue to get the legal help that they've had in the past from members of their congregation who are lawyers or or members of their community. Well, I know what, what prompted me to reach out to you to do this show on this topic are pending um, uh, actions with Iowa and now I think Pennsylvania also. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering, you said that Vermont adopted the only state that adopted this model rule a couple of years ago, is there a constitutional challenge pending to Vermont's rule? There has not been a constitutional challenge brought to Vermont's rule. Um, so far, it has been, you know, enough in, um, you know, a dozen states for um for the lawyers in those states, and, and when I say in those states, you know, for example, Iowa has a comment period now. There are probably lawyers in states around Iowa who are members of the Iowa Bar, even though they don't live in Iowa, and they certainly should be considering commenting on this proposal out of Iowa. Um, but it's been enough so far for um, lawyers in those states to say, we have real problems with this. And a good resource for lawyers who want to comment in Iowa and now Pennsylvania 
um, is the Christian Legal Society website. We have a uh, a lot of pages devoted to the ABA Model Rule 8.4G. You can find your state. It's pretty easy to navigate and find your state, and then we have the information there about the specific proposal in your state, and we try to provide a sample comment letter, our own comment letter, and um, just some background information. One of the best resources for this issue that is easy to find on YouTube uh, is a video that uh, Professor Volokh, V as in victory, O-L-O-K-H, uh, did for Federalist Society on 8.4G. So if you just Google that on YouTube, it's a two-minute introduction as to what the free speech problems are with this particular um, rule. And it, he gives it in a very compelling manner. There have also been several good law review articles for the lawyers out there um, about this issue as well. And you can find more information about those on the Christian Legal Society website. Well, I, for one, am very appreciative of the leadership that Christian Legal Society and uh, Kim that you have brought on this topic. I'm, of course, thrilled that Professor Volokh is on board, but he's certainly been a very clear thinker on free speech issues over the years. Um, for those of you who are lawyers, you may know him uh, on faculty at UCLA Law School teaching Con Law, and they actually have a a religious freedom appellate, or a First Amendment appellate clinic now at, at right. UCLA. Right. So we've been talking uh, about a model rule that will, if it's adopted in various states, will really infringe on the rights of lawyers. Our guest today has been Kim Colby, Executive Director of the Christian Legal Society Center for Law and Religious Freedom. Kim, thanks as always for being with us on Freedom's Ring. It's my pleasure, Alan. Thanks for all the good work you do. As we close, remember, folks, at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Neil Renna. Until next week, let freedom ring. Freedom's Ring.